0: Good to have you back. Excited to be here. Podcast 497. As we finish up on that riz, that charisma, that charm, that magnetism, whatever you want to call it, you have it. You can improve it. You can get better. Because this is why I spent so many years studying the riz, the charisma, whatever you want to call it. You know, I talk about persuasion, influence, and tell people there's over a hundred persuasion tools because most people use the same three or four over and over again. You've heard me say it, that if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, you treat everyone like a nail. They'd always ask, what's the most important tool? And, you know, thinking about it, doing some research, it's charisma. Because when you're charismatic, think about it. People want to be around you. They want to be influenced by you. They want to be led by you. And they recruit others to be led by you and to be influenced by you. Doesn't get any better than that when you talk about the world of persuasion, motivation, and influence. So this is our final installment on Charisma. In fact, make sure you take your Charisma IQ. Go to CharismaIQ.com. It's 12 questions. Pretty fast. Pretty simple. Helps you with my research. Helps you identify some of the areas you need to work on. And I'll give you the free audio. That comes from Laws of Charisma on how to inspire others. Get them to want to do that. Get them motivated. Instead of using fear, use inspiration. So there you go, CharismaIQ.com. Let's get into the persuasion blunder. Don't, don't, don't. This goes to Frank Shirley. If you don't know who that is, well, that is Clark Griswold's boss in Christmas Vacation. One of my all time faves. That's a great movie. Anyway, the whole premise of this movie is that he's getting this end of the year bonus and he's going to put it in a pool. And they get it every year. You know, a nice reward, a nice bonus at the end of the year. The, the company wasn't doing so hot, so he gave everyone a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. <laughs> Whatever that is, I guess you get a new thing of jam or jelly every month to test new flavors. But the challenge is he didn't meet those expectations. And he didn't understand how rewards work. For example, I've worked at a university that every December they give us a nice big turkey. And then one year like, oh, we really don't have money for that. Here's a book. <laughs> and people were literally very upset, yelling, angry. I mean, it was crazy for a turkey, but it became an expectation. And of course, if you're a college professor, last thing you needs is another book. Everyone's giving you a book. Choose this book. Try this book. So rewards is a quick, easy, fast way to influence people. But when it becomes an expectation, it's no longer reward. Like college students, they give them these fun puzzles to play with. They just play with them. They're fun. But once you paid them to play with them, they would no longer just play with them. You had to pay them. That became an expectation. You know, elementary school kids, they don't read. We can't get them to read. Oh, let's do pizza of the month program. Oh, there's a lot of problems with that. That's a lot of the calories, number one. But number two, now they won't read unless you give them pizza. And that's the challenge. Employee of the month programs, does it become an expectation? Does everyone get it? Nothing's worse than employee of the month program where Lucy gets it and no, she stinks, but you know, she was the only one that didn't get it. Well, that diminishes the award and diminishes everyone else who's received that award. So rewards, quick, easy, fast. If it's someone you're never going to see again, maybe. Can you make it random? That helps out. It's not expected. That helps out with the rewards. So rewards are fun, spiffs, bonuses. But when it becomes an expectation, then it's no longer really a bonus. As diminishing returns, people expect more and more and more. So if you keep it random, you keep it different, you keep it fair, and it doesn't become an expectation is a powerful tool. But not for Frank Shirley, the boss of Clark Griswold in Christmas Vacation, who went from getting a pool to a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. There you go. That is your blunder of the week. That takes us to our geeky scholarly article. This comes from University of Toronto, the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology of the Wall Street Journal. And of course, those links are at MaximizeYourInfluence.com where you can find all the information you need to become a power persuader and more charismatic. So this is six questions to reveal how charismatic you are. Now, when I was doing the research for laws of charisma, I identified four areas of charisma. And within those four areas, there's 28 categories. And some of these qualities you have, some you need to get, some you need to improve, That's why we all have a little Riz in us. It's not something you're born with. I guarantee that. It is something you can learn. We talked about that last week. So, this article suggests there's a simple, scientific, accurate way to figure out how charismatic you are. So, the researchers asked participants to rate themselves on a series of qualities that described charismatic people. And they brought it down to two factors influence, your leadership ability, and your strength of presence, and affability. Or being pleasant and approachable. So they narrowed that down to two. Influence and basically your affability or likability. And so they're trying to quantify charisma. And that's a lot harder than you think. You know, when I was doing research on trust, how do you quantify that? Because you feel it. How do you, emotional intelligence, a lot of these things, how do you quantify some of these things? Because for a lot of us, it's just a feeling It just happens. You know, when someone approaches you on a street, on a dark corner... You feel like you should run. Where is that coming from? That's why it's a challenge many times to quantify, whether it be charisma, trust, feelings, or any part of influence. So some of these we've talked about, do you have presence? When you walk into a room, does somebody notice? Do people approach you? People want to talk to you? People feel comfortable around you? Has the ability to influence where you're not the type of person, where you're doing the anti-suasion, where you're just getting resistance. You just want to say no because of who you are, just because of the way you influence. A lot of teenagers in this category, just the way they asked, whether it came across as condescending or mean or rude or arrogant, whatever it is, that can hold people back from influence and charisma. Knows how to lead a group, leadership, just become a natural leader. People want to be led by you. People want to change. I mean, think about it. People are yearning for someone that they can trust, that they can follow, that can lead them to get them where they want to go. Makes people feel comfortable. You can talk to somebody for an hour and you just feel comfortable. You open up, you reveal your life story. You can add to that too, being a little more optimistic, being a little more positive, helps people feel more comfortable. Smiles, that's what I came up with too. Do you get stuck with the RBF trap that I've (laughs) been? Look it up if you don't know what it is. But it's basically, yeah, you're stuck in frown mode. And that's not very contagious or warm. And does not open people up. So we can smile more. Depends on the situation. Depends on the culture. Depends on a variety of factors. Especially if you have one of those creeper, creeperton smiles. (laughs) We'll have to work on that. And I agree 100% can get along with anyone. Especially now our divisive canceling society, people just hang out and talk to and like the people that are like them. And that's not how it works, especially with influence and leadership. You don't get to choose the people you lead. You look at the corporate world. You're pretty much assigned most of the time people that you have to lead. So you have to get along with everyone. You have to motivate everyone. You have to inspire and influence anyone. That's the key. Not just the people you like that think like you, that believe like you, that act like you, that have a personality like you. That's the key to influence and charisma. So I agree on those. So just kind of see if you want to rank. So they're saying that if you can give yourself a point for each one of these, and be honest with yourself, that if it's higher than 3.7, you're more charismatic than the average person. So 3.7 seems kind of low to me, but hey, 3.7 is a number. So here are the six again. Point for each. Do you have presence when you get into a room? Do you have the ability to influence? Knows how to lead a group? Makes people feel comfortable? Smiles at people often can get along with anyone. So what is your Riz ranking on that one? But do take the expanded test at CharismaIQ.com and you will get the bonus on how to inspire other people. But that's the key to any one of these assessments. It's kind of help you think it through. Where's the area that I need to improve and work on? That's how we grow. You can't fix yourself. You can't improve if you don't know what to improve. And if you're like, I'm good at all those, uh, we've got issues because we can always work on our people skills, our influence skills, our leadership skills. You just have to identify the one to work on now. So let's review the sections we've talked about the last few weeks. We dived into presence passion, and confidence, a few of the areas within presence. We got into your core qualities, your inner charisma, purpose, passion, having courage, the ability to focus. Last week, we got in delivering communication skills, ability to present, presentation skills, the ability to tell stories. And now the final one is when you're charismatic, when you've got that riz, you have the ability to empower others. So let's talk about a few of those. The quickest, bestest, easiest, fastest way to inspire others and to be charismatic is to have vision. When you talk about the future and what they can accomplish and their potentials, you're empowering them. They can see it, taste it, touch it, feel it. It's like they're listening to a movie. We've all been to the rah-rah session beginning of the year. Maybe going through it right now. CEO, vision, future, this year, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. And, you know, a half hour later in the break room, yeah, yeah, whatever, flavor of the day. That wasn't the downloading of the vision. And that's what leadership expert Warren Bennis says, that leadership is a capacity to translate vision into reality. So what does a leadership show on vision and charisma? It says the role of a charismatic leader is to express a vision, get buy-in, and implement it. 36% of people surveyed want a visionary person as their leader. Charismatic leaders are meaning makers. They interpret reality and offer us images of the future that are irresistible, that we want, that we want to be a part of. So charismatic leaders that have this vision, that can articulate this vision, the people that they were leading found more job satisfaction, they're more motivated, they were more committed, they were more productive, and they had more pride in the organization. So this vision is what bonds people together. You can take a a sports team. Different backgrounds, different everything, different lifestyle, different beliefs, but they all have the vision of winning the championship, of getting to first place. That vision bonds people together because human beings yearn for that direction and guidance. Someone help them get to the promised land to get where they want to go. See, when you visualize it, that erodes all your fears and your doubts, You see, the universe will not reward you physically until you see it mentally. That's your vision. Vision, more than anything else, dictates your day-to-day decisions. And that's true with influence. If people can't see it mentally, it's not going to happen physically. Remember the study with the inner-city kids in the United States? Go to college, go to college, go to college. It'll change your life. Go to college. They didn't. Didn't matter. All the teachers were harping on it. Go, go, go. Didn't matter. Because they can't see it. What's college? They hadn't been to a college before. Maybe their parents aren't talking about college. Well, what what is that? So what made the difference? They took them to a college. They married a student for a day. They realized, oh, I can do this. I get it. I know what this is. These are normal people like me. So when they said go to college, they could see it. They could visualize it. And that's what made the biggest difference. So as you look to create a vision, create a vision everyone can share in. Everyone wins. Everyone believes they're part of the team and can make it happen. And then when you paint the picture, that makes the vision come alive. They can see it, taste it, touch it, feel it. And make sure that there's that common goal. It could be a common enemy, something to rally around that they could all strive for. But make sure that goal, that objective is clear, precise, and realistic. Because when things are ambiguous, really, how do we get there? I don't get it. Or even unrealistic, it has the opposite effect. It's not empowering at all. Not only have a vision, but you also have the action plan that comes with it. So give them hope, encouragement, and the tools to see themselves doing what they want or need to do. Help them get out of the past and into the future. That's what great vision does. Another part of this empowering section, I mean, inspiration is awfully part of that. And part of inspiration is learning how to motivate, to light their fire, to empower them. See, motivation is getting people to do what you want them to do, because they want to do it. And we have this blind spot almost that we think what motivates us motivates other people. And we're motivated by different things on different days. It's not always the same type of motivation. Interesting study found that 59% of employees said their companies did not do enough to motivate them. Well, because the companies, managers think, well, we pay them. Isn't that motivation enough? And obviously it's not. Here's a sad one. And I know this one's worse with People working at home, but over 50% of all workers said they could double their effectiveness, and 85% of workers in the US said they could work harder on the job. Ouch. So, what's one of the main things that hurt motivation? I'd say the big one is goal setting. Like, what? Yeah. In fact, go to the archives. I talk about all the negative pieces of goal setting. Now, I believe in goal setting, but I think for the most part, especially in the corporate world, when you're assigned a goal that's Unrealistic, you don't know why, you don't think you can do it, you don't feel like you have the tools, that's pretty demotivating. If a sales team, the top 10 go to Hawaii, and you're like, Well, oh, I'm never gonna get that. I've always been in the middle. They're better, they have better territories, right? You make the excuses, that's demotivating for most of the people. Now, maybe the top 20 motivates that think they can get it, but if the people think they can't get that trip to Hawaii, then it is not very motivating. So let's talk about this extrinsic, intrinsic motivation. There's really only two motivators. Let's just simplify it. Pleasure, pain, reward, punishment. I love inspiration or desperation. And each one of those can be either internal or external. So intrinsic is internal. It comes from within. Now intrinsic has its place, especially for those that are uninspirable. You can only really use fear. That's why dentists say only floss the teeth you want to keep because it's kind of hard to inspire people to floss. It can be done, but most people do it out of fear. They don't want to lose their teeth. They don't want more cavities. But let's get into that intrinsic, that internal motivation. Because if people are motivated by desperation, that could be fear, obligation. There's inspiration. That could be respect for the team, respect for your leader, love for the people around you. It could be your passion, your purpose. You can motivate anybody with desperation. I mean, really, take a lazy teenager, lay on the couch, doing nothing, right? Just go out in the garage, get a can of gasoline, and light the couch on fire. (laughs) You will see some instant motivation. They're moving faster than you've ever seen them move. But once you've been arrested and the couch has been replaced, they're laying on the couch again. So if you can tap into what motivates them, that intrinsic motivation, and it probably is different than yours. So how can you increase motivation of yourself or those around you? Clear, concise expectations. And I'll add what I talked about before, a clear vision. Increasing personal development for you or for the team. That's an instant motivator. People feel better about themselves. They feel more on track. They feel more competent. And they are more competent. They know that you believe in them, that you're investing in them. That you're teaching them valuable skills that will make them more valuable. Realistic and exciting goals. Make sure there's buy-in. Make sure they know there's the why. Make sure they believe they can do it. Maybe you need to break that big annual goal into a monthly goal or to a weekly goal so it's more realistic. You have to limit the negative, pessimistic co-workers or people in your life. You might not be able to eliminate it completely, but you can limit the exposure you have. You can limit the effect that it has. Always recognize and reward improvement, even for yourself. Reward yourself for achieving your goals, for getting up early, for taking that cold shower, for reading a book for 30 minutes a day, for making your bed, whatever it is. That's why I've always believed, wake up in the morning with a victory. I don't know if you read the book about making your bed every morning. It was an Air Force general, I believe. It says, look, you got to start your day, you make your bed. So two or three victories in the morning, make it fun, interesting, stimulating, have an accountability partner, and of course, make sure you or they have the tools and resources they need to make it happen. And so don't get caught in the trap that you don't need to motivate yourself. You don't need to motivate others. Different things will motivate different people on different things. So mix it up. Find out what really drives people internally, intrinsically. That can make a difference. And a lot of people out there, they, they poo-poo it. with <laughs> the scientific term there. Well, motivation doesn't last, so it's a waste of time. And what's the comeback? Well, neither does a shower, but it's good to take one every once in a while. So take your daily shower of motivation for you and for others. Find out what their buttons are, their internal buttons, and push that button and watch them go. That's the key to motivation. So there you have it. That's the final one, empowering others. We can also add to building people's esteem, goodwill, Empathy, respect can all be in this category. But do go take your Charisma IQ at charismaiq.com. Helps me out, helps you out. And of course, I'll give you the audio from the Laws of Charisma on how to inspire others. There you have it. Another one for the books. Tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast. You can find us at YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, iTunes. And your social media under Maximize Your Influence. So let me know at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com what you want to hear on the show. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Take something learned to learn today. Get a little more riz, a little more charisma. Watch people gravitate to you and want to be influenced by you. So make it happen. Become a motivator, not only for yourself, but for others. And go out and persuade with power.